There's a big difference between you're right and that's right. Listen for this when you're in clinic. Anytime you hear a patient say, you're right, take that as meaning I've stopped listening to you, I'm agreeing with you because I just want this particular part of the encounter to be finished. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. It's spring in the American Midwest, and nature has put on its usual glorious slow-motion firework display of emerald and fuchsia, yellow chartreuse, and dusty pink. The skies turn this exuberant robin's egg blue, and there's both heat and moisture in the air now. Nature is doing what it does without any help from us. It's bringing new life out of death. Have you noticed that it's hard to see with nature? What is death? And what's life? Because the two are inextricably entangled. The turkey tail mushrooms growing out of the stump that used to be a tree, the spring flowers growing out of the fertile death and decay of last year's leaves, the birds are building a new nest outside my window with last year's grasses. Where do we not find an ever-present exchange between life and death? The morning coffee I'm drinking now is the dead roasted-to-perfection seed of a coffee tree. Last night's dinner included fresh spring onions from the backyard. It's death fed my life. I'm not looking here to diminish the challenges and the fears that we have with the coronavirus. And at the same time, especially as we are here in the spring, a time when many are celebrating holidays of transformation and renewal, I can't help but turn some attention toward dying as the whole of the world is focused on ventilators, isolation, and living at any cost. I am not suggesting morbidity or nihilism. I was talking to a podcast guest the other day who said, I've been waiting for this for 50 years. And I realized that I've been waiting for it as well. I grew up in a time when educated people, especially if you had a taste for science or biology, we were beginning to notice the limits to growth. That when living creatures overtaxed their environment, they would die off from disease, starvation, where perhaps a predator moved to town and found more free lunch. Nature has a way of balancing things out, and nature bats last. One of the curious things about humans is that of all the creatures on this rock, we seem to have this enhanced ability to adapt, and we are social creatures. So collectively, we can exert powerful influence and change. We are generative and creative. Stuart Brand the publisher of the Whole Earth Catalog said, we are as gods, so we might as well get good at it. I think that belies a kind of optimism of the late 60s and early 70s. The other day, while listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, Eric Weinstein put it another way. We're like gods, but we are without the wisdom. I think I'm more with Stuart Brand on this one, because when I think back on the Greek myths that I so loved as a boy, what I loved most was that the gods were always getting themselves into some kind of mischief. The Greek gods were the opposite of the Judeo-Christian god of perfection who had a plan but refused to reveal his presence. Those Greek gods and goddesses, yeah man, goddesses, you gotta love a religion with goddesses, they were powerful and they were fallible. It's good to have that reminder I think it's helpful to know that these forces of creation and destruction, they're not outside of us, but woven into the fabric of who we are. But unlike the divine, our mortality gives us the constant reminder that our actions and our choices, they matter. There's an end. It could go badly. In fact, few would say the entirety of life goes well. And in the end, well, after all, we are dust. And while we know this, it seems to be hard in our modern world, at least in the world I live in, in North America, to allow the death side with equal footing and status into my heart along with the life side. We live in a culture that denies and hides death, and yet the Corona Spring, it gives us the opportunity to consider mortality in the moment and not in some fuzzy future. We can lament the new normal or allow that closer presence with death to inform our choices and actions. Have you noticed that when you feel closer to death, you're also closer to life? This episode is a solo show with yours truly. I don't 
do these solo shows very often is I find dialogue to be way more enlivening than droning on with a monologue. And really, I often don't feel like I've got much to say. I can hold up my end of a conversation because the conversation itself provides the fuel. For me, conversations like breathing. There's an inhale, there's an exhale, but a monologue, I feel like I've got about 10 minutes of something worthwhile and then I run out of steam. But I also think it's good to push the boundaries. It's good to practice where you're weak. So in a moment, I've got a show for you on listening. It's pretty funny, don't you think, that I'm about to ramble on about listening? Aren't paradoxes deliciously fun? But first, a couple of things. My wife is a huge fan of gua sha. It's her go-to treatment for when anything feels a bit off or after a long day. I know some gua sha for her is going to make her really happy. But after interviewing Oren Kaviti last fall, you'll find that conversation over on episode 106. I started experimenting with the Antake Warm Bamboo Moxa Method. My wife still loves gua sha. But these days, what I usually hear is, honey, can you do that moxa thing for me? I'm telling you, Antaki is a great tool to have when you're locked down with someone. Geological is delighted to share this fun and effective method with you on May the 2nd and 9th when we stream Orin in live from Malaysia. Originally, we were going to do this in Seattle, but, well, you know, pandemics change things. But we've retold the class a bit for online if you love moxa and bodywork, do check out the class. Details over on the website. Real Mushrooms is the sponsor of this episode. Real Mushrooms is trusted by over 450 health practitioners who prescribe these quality products to their patients. Why? Because Real Mushrooms is 100% quality mushrooms. No grains, no fillers. Pure, simple, and effective. Later in the show, Sky Chilton will be back to tell you more about their partner program. Text PARTNER to the number 55444 to find out more about Real Mushroom's partner program. Hey friends, welcome to this rather unique episode of Geological. Today, I don't have a guest. Today... You've got just me. I think I might have done one or two solo shows in the past. It's a little unusual for me to do this. Mostly, I find that my inspiration comes by talking to our colleagues. When it's me talking about something that's on my mind or of interest to me, I often feel like I've got maybe 10 or 15 minutes of material, and then that's about it. I'm done. But today, I want to give it a try. I want to do something different. I like to mix things up. We're here in the middle of COVID-19, the season of Corona, as my lovely niece likes to talk about it. And it's a good time to try different things. And so I thought I would try a little solo show with all of you today. Today, I want to talk about listening. And I want to talk about this because it's something that's super essential in the work that we do. I want to talk about it because it's been a surprise to me over the time that I've done the podcast that I will get comments from folks about my interview style or the way that I listen, the way that I communicate with guests. And it's a bit of a surprise to me because the way that I am on the podcast is really exactly the same as I am with my patients in my clinic. There is just a way that over the years I have come to working with people and I find that I rely a lot on listening, mostly because there's a whole lot that I just plain don't understand. There's a lot I don't understand about medicine. There certainly is a lot I don't understand about people. And I have found over the time that I've done medicine that to be able to help my patients, I need to figure out what it is that they're really asking for. And I need to figure out what it is that they have in the way of strengths and resources and what it is that they might be lacking. And once I have some clarity on those things, it's easier for me to come up with a diagnosis. And of course, with a clear diagnosis, it's much easier to be able to help people. And so today I wanna to talk about listening because it is something that I found to be of great value. In fact, I would say it's the pivotal thing that I rely on in my clinical work. And I have a few ideas about it. I don't know if any of this will be useful to you, but let's find out. So 
To begin with, I want to talk about the character listen. In Chinese, it's pronounced ting, first tone, ting. And in the simplified script of mainland China these days, it's written basically as a mouth to an ear. And that's the character for listen. But in the traditional characters, like you would study if you were in Taiwan or Hong Kong, or really many of the uh, com Chinese communities across the world, they use the traditional characters. And that if you look at the traditional character, and you'll actually see it because it's in the uh, image for this particular episode, you'll see this complex character that actually tells you how to listen. And the character is made up of these main components. The first, and not surprisingly, is the character for ear. And the next is the character for eye. So we use our ears and we use our eyes when we're in the process of listening. And then it also has the character for heart, xin. And the character for heart in Chinese is really interesting because it means heart, like that thing going boom, boom, boom in your chest. But it's also the character for mind, capital M mind at that. It means both. And of course, with so many things in, well, not just Chinese, but any language, you're looking at the context to understand what it, what it means. And finally, there's this interesting character. It's in the bottom left-hand corner. It's the character Wang, which means sovereign or king. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, this portion of the character. And I'm not a sinologist, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in Chinese either, but as I've thought about this over the years, that character for sovereign, what's that doing there in the character for listen? And my sense is it's that part of us, not unlike our mind in some ways, but it's that part of us that knows what we know. It's that part of us that that is very integral to who we are and how we make sense of the world and how we bring ourselves to this enterprise called life. And so to listen, to really, really listen, it is that deep aspect of ourself. It's our heart. It's our mind. It's our ears. It's our eyes. And this is what makes up listen. Listening is not passive. It's an experience that requires us to bring all of our attention and all of our presence to our patient. And at the very same time that we're attending to our patient, we have to be attentive to our own internal responses and our own internal dialogue. I'm sure that you've had experiences working in clinic where a patient says something and it will bring up a strong emotional reaction in you. Maybe it's their political point of view. Maybe it's the way they see the world or some treatments that they've tried that you think are just ridiculous. Or maybe it's something our patient says that reminds us of ourselves. Or maybe it reminds us of the part of ourselves that we don't like so much. A lot of times when we're working in our clinics or, with, or when we're with our friends or our loved ones in particular, sometimes something gets said and, and we get triggered by it. And I think it's really important in the process of listening to have one ear on our patient and the other ear on our own internal responses. Because if we're not attentive to our own internal response, we might respond in a very unconscious way to what's going on. And it's usually not helpful to our patients and it's often not helpful to ourselves either. So it's important to be able to note what's going on for us. More than that, it can be a rich source of information for us. Lots of emotions and feelings come up as we're listening to others. And we can attend, and if we can attend to it without getting caught in it, it sometimes can help us to better understand the person that we're listening to and trying to help. I find, especially when I first start to see a patient, if I can just listen to, to kind of get a feel for who is this person, right? What's the pace of their speech, the strength of their voice? I often attend to how do they sit? Do I feel like I have to lean into them? Or do I feel like I'm being pushed away from them? There's all kinds of ways that we can sense how we are and who we are in the presence of another human being. I, I think all these fall under the rubric of listening. Another thing that comes up for me when I think about listening is, am I trying to control the situation? Or am I trying to be in some way attentive and moved by the situation. 
right? So like, am I here to make sure that the clinical encounter runs an exact sort of way that I think is the right way to run an encounter? Or am I present to what the situation, what the patient is asking from me so that I can better help them? I find that listening is more important than knowing. Now, of course, in our clinical practices, we are expected to be the experts and we're expected to know a whole lot. In fact, we're expected to be able to help our patients. It's something that they pay us for. It's a reasonable expectation on their part. And it's something that we want to do. But often people come to us because they don't know what is going to be helpful for them or they've tried things and it hasn't helped. I mean, I think a lot of us acupuncturists pride ourselves on being able to help people that haven't been helped by other things. But the problem with knowing is that often we don't know. I mean, a patient comes in and they've got a very complex thing that they're working on, or it's very convoluted, or it's been going on a long time. It's hard to know what actually is happening. It's hard to know how to help. And so I have found for myself that when I think I know something, I'm often ruling out all kinds of information that might be helpful. I'm looking for confirmation of what I know rather than listening for aspects of what I don't know. And so the problem with knowing, at least in my experience, is that I actually stop listening. I stop listening to the entirety of what a patient has to say to me. I stop listening to all the little voices and doubts on my side because I'm trying to dial something in like I know what's going on. And so I listen and, and you know there's a kind of a confirmation bias. Lately in my clinic, I have found myself trying to acquire a new habit of listening and thinking. And that is to take whatever it is that I think is going on with a patient. And instead of listening or trying to dig out bits of information that confirm what I think the diagnosis is or to confirm what I think is going on with them, I try to take my idea of what's going on with my patient and listen for information that disproves my theory or hypothesis of what's going on with them. I don't know about you. I like feeling like I know what I'm doing. And one of the problems with having a very clear idea of what I think is going on is I stop listening for and I stop looking for the information that disproves my current hypothesis with the patients. Now, it can be really uncomfortable to try to disprove your theory of what's going on for a patient as you're working with a patient. But for me, at least recently, I found it to be a really helpful exercise in staying open to other possibilities that don't come immediately to mind. So I keep saying this to myself. I keep trying to remind myself that listening is more important than knowing. The other thing that I have found with listening, and especially listening to the responses that I have on the inside, right? The moments when patients give me bad news, the moments when they tell me that a treatment didn't go well, or actually maybe a treatment made them worse, where they say something and it makes me uncomfortable. It's hard to receive bad news from our patients. We want to help them. And I don't know about you, but I like feeling like I know what I'm doing. And so when we get information, at least when I get information, that I've not been helpful, or I've missed something, or maybe I've grossly misjudged something, and I've made a situation worse, a lot of thoughts come up in my mind. And it goes by very quickly. It can be anything from, oh, you dummy, you don't know what you're doing, to, oh, if this patient had only told me this before, or maybe I'm angry that they didn't take their herbs in the right way, or who knows what it is. I mean, the content in some ways is irrelevant. Let's just leave it at this. Sometimes patients will deliver information to you. They'll deliver news to you. And it's bad news. And it conjures things up in you. It conjures up your own thoughts. And it's easy to get lost in our own reactivity. This is where I think that listening, especially with that inner ear of listening to our own responses, is super important. Because if we're really going to help people, and if the situation is an complex situation. We're often dealing with one foot deeply in unknowing and the other foot hopefully rooted solidly in, in theory, in mental models that we know are helpful or even experience that we've had in the past that could maybe bear some light on the situation that we're working with. 
But I think so often what the truth of the matter is, is anytime we're working clinically with people, we do have one foot in, oh my goodness, what is this right now? And if you can cozy up to that, not get so thrown away by it, stay curious with the pieces that you don't know. See how they interact and dance with the pieces that you do know or the mental models that have been useful. It can help, at least it helps me, to stay present in the moments when I don't really know what's going on. And it especially helps me to stay present in those moments when patients have delivered some bad news to me. And now I have to take that information in and use it to figure out, okay, given that I know more about the situation now than I did a week ago, what does that mean about how I might be able to help them? So be attentive to that internal dialogue of yours and be attentive to how it makes you feel and how you can stay present or how it throws you off kilter. Because the more that we can kind of dance with that knowing and not knowing in the present moment, the more I think we can be open to the new information that our patients are giving us, whether it's the news they deliver and tell us about their experience or a pulse that might not match or something else that we notice that we attend to in our clinical work. You know, it's not a question if you're going to react to your patient's bad news, you will. The question is how you go about dealing with it. One of the things that I've learned over time about listening is that it helps to create space. And there are times when space and there are times when silence is really, really important. I'm going to get more into this here in just a few minutes. But the thing that's coming up for me in my mind right now that I want to share with you is something that I found some years ago in working with patients where I felt like they were bringing 20% of the energy to the interaction and it was up to me to bring the 80%. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found in working with people like this, if, I'm, if they're bringing 20% and I'm bringing 80, what usually would happen is I would be exhausted by the end of the encounter. And furthermore, it didn't seem like I was that helpful to my patient. One of the things that I found helpful about listening is that I can attend to this kind of boundary. Someone shows up with, I'm going to call it 20% of the available energy in the room. I find it helpful to match them with roughly 25 to 30% of my energy. Leave a space for that portion of energy that's not being accounted for. What I discovered over time was if I showed up with 100% of energy and I tried to draw people out, what ended up happening is I would be exhausted and they would seem to stay more walled off. My treatments weren't that helpful. I felt like I was doing something to them more than we were on some kind of a healing journey together. And so I would encourage you in the process of listening, again, this is about listening to your own internal responses and how you feel. If you feel like you have to really lean toward a patient, you're trying to draw a lot out of them, I would encourage you to back up a bit, conserve your energy, match energy for energy, and see what happens in that space in between. The other thing that occurred to me, and this was after years of like batting my head against the wall of trying to draw patients out, is that if they showed up with about 20% of the energy in the room and I showed up with 80, it gave them no room to maneuver. They didn't have a space to like unfold and come out into. And so when you're listening, not just to what people say and not just to your own feelings, but the space in between you and your patient, be attentive to that and give them some room to expand into. You don't have to fill up all the space. You can leave some room to let people come out. And, and especially the folks that are a bit more withdrawn, maybe they're a bit introverted or just uncomfortable in your presence, make your presence a bit smaller and it'll give them some room to come out. Now, I want to come back to talking about being the expert here for a moment because I know that we're paid to be experts and a lot of us like feeling like we're experts or, well, at least like feeling like we know what we're doing. And so... 
I have found that when confusion arises in my mind during a clinical encounter, maybe I, I lose the track of what a patient says, or they, or they say one thing like, yeah, my lungs are doing really good. They, they've not been this better in years. And then a minute or two later, they're telling you how they're puffing on their inhaler twice a day. And there's times when I just plain lose the thread of what a patient is saying. And, and you know, I kind of like to pride myself on that. I listen closely. And, and sometimes it feels really embarrassing to me that, holy smokes, all of a sudden, I've got no idea what my patient is talking about. I find in a moment like this, it's really helpful to share my confusion with my patient. Because it turns out that often they're really unclear with themselves. And the reason why we get conflicting information and the reason why it seems confusing is because our patients themselves aren't really clear on what's going on with them. In fact, often they're quite out of touch with it. And so I have found over time that when I feel confused, I just bring that up to the patient. And the way that I do it is to say, I'm confused about something Help me understand this because a moment ago you told me X, Y, Z, and now you're telling me A, B, C, and I don't understand how these two things go together. Can you help me out here with that? And my fear is that they're going to think that I hadn't been listening and I'm not paying attention, but the truth of the matter is often they themselves are not sure about their own experience. And so bringing your confusion to the encounter can be really, really helpful. Another thing that I found is that for the patients who don't know how to describe their pain, it's difficult to have a good outcome with these people. And I think the reason why it's difficult to have a good outcome with these people is because they have trouble tracking their own experience. If they can't tell you the quality of a pain or where it is or what makes it worse or what makes it better, or where it radiates to, or what it's like in some way, if they don't have the kinesthetic ability to tune into their own body, it's going to be very, very hard for them to know when they're getting better. And so I would encourage you with folks like this, and you know who they are, right? They're the ones who go, when you ask them, what's your pain like? What does it feel like? Is it a sharp, sticky thing? Is it achy like a, like a, like a toothache? They're the ones who go, well, you know, it hurts. Those are the ones that I think in particular, it's very, very helpful to do one of two things. One is help them to gain some body awareness. And the other is just to recognize you might not get very far with them. Or maybe there's some kind of a, a phlegm obstructing their sensory perceptions, or there might be something else going on. But again, please be aware that if somebody can't describe their experience, there's some element of them being disembodied. Maybe they've got some very old trauma that keeps them from being embodied. That, those are some things to look for. So when you feel confused or when you feel like you're not getting enough information from your patient to be helpful, then double down on that stuff and see if you can get them to talk more about their experience. Okay, I want to come back to uh, silence here. I talked about it a moment ago, and this is something that I think can be really helpful, but it can also be super uncomfortable to use in the clinic. Silence magically adds pressure. You can feel it for yourself. And silence, I mean, if you can hold your tongue and use some silence in the clinic, you ask your patient a question, and maybe they're having a hard time coming up with an answer, and you start to feel yourself being antsy, I encourage you, hold your tongue. Sometimes it's super helpful for a patient to struggle with their sense of how to respond to a question. Because they have to go inward. And sometimes, you know, again, I was just saying there's sometimes people, they have a hard time going inward. And so if you can just be quiet after asking a question, let a patient struggle a bit with what their experience is. Maybe notice your own experience in, in the presence of that. Because, you know, it's uncomfortable being around people that are feeling uncomfortable. It's going to bring some stuff up in you. 
And you know those patients where it seems like you just can't get the kind of information that you're trying to get out of them so that you can be helpful to them? You know, some people, they just, they don't talk that well about themselves or they, they just, they don't want to talk. It's uncomfortable for them or they don't know what to say. This is going to sound a little bit silly and it's going to sound super simple, but I have found if you repeat back to them, the last few words they said, but you, you ask it as a question and then shut up. Let the silence work. People will often take this as an invitation to go deeper into what they were talking about, to give you some more information. And again, you could take those next three words of what they had just said, repeat it back as a question. Or you could put a label on it. Oh, it sounds like what you're telling me is X, Y, Z. And then just go silent. Wait. Let the silence allow them to go deeper into their experience. Often you can get more information about what's going on for your patient. More importantly, I think your patients can get more information about what's going on for them. You know, a lot of times people come in and there's things that are bothering them that they either don't know about or maybe they know about but they really don't want to share. But it's helpful for you to know about it so that you can help them. And so I encourage you, ask questions and then go quiet. Or try using that last couple of words that they said, but you ask it as a question and see what happens. So let me give you an example. Actually, this isn't in a clinical encounter. This is an example that you can, you can practice before you try taking it into clinic, all right? You can practice this on your spouse or you can practice this with your kids, all right? Anytime that you are having a conversation, you're trying to get some more information out of them, maybe you're actually having an argument. Maybe you're trying to understand them more deeply because you're disagreeing about something. And instead of trying to put your idea forth, you really want to try to understand what, what your kid or what your spouse is saying. In the midst of the argument, you can take, again, these like the last three words that they said about something, especially something that's just triggered you. You take a nice deep breath. You repeat it back to them as a question. I didn't take out the garbage. Oh, yes, not only did you not take out the garbage, but, you know, you never clean the clothes and, you know, you promised you were going to wash the windows and I just can't rely on you is the response. Oh, now we're getting to something, right? Oh, you feel like you can't rely on me. Hmm. Maybe the issue isn't about doing chores. Maybe the issue is about somehow I'm not reliable. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can come up when you go a little bit deeper into whatever is on the surface. And so, again, this sounds a little bit silly. It even sounds super formulaic, and it sounds really easy to do, but I can guarantee you that repeating back the last few words of what someone said, but as a question, and then going quiet, you are literally going to have to take your tongue and put it between your teeth to be quiet. It's a really interesting exercise, and I encourage you to do it. Again, try it with your family members. I mean, we're all locked into the same house right now. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to do that. And again, this is a super helpful thing to do in clinic because you can help elicit more information, not just for yourself, but that so your patient can also better understand themselves. Success is much sweeter when shared with others. Hi, I'm Sky Chilton. I launched Real Mushrooms five years ago. Much of our success can be attributed to health practitioners who believe in us. Well, we believe in you too. We're here to return the favor with our partner program. If you'd like to prescribe Real Mushrooms to help your patients, we'll fulfill that order, directly ship it to your patient, and share the earnings with you. You can still help your patients without stepping into your practice. The ultimate litmus test for recommending a product is whether you would share it with a friend. Try Real Mushrooms now. Thanks, Guy, for your quality products and this generous program. Text PARTNER to the number 55444 to find out more about Real Mushrooms Partner Program. All right, I want to pivot here to something else. You know how we often have this thing about air quotes here, patients lie. 
you know, they don't tell us the truth. I, I don't think patients are really trying to purposefully mislead us, although maybe sometimes they are. I mean, we all have our own issues with how we want to present to people and, you know, be liked, especially by people in authority. And when you're seeing a doctor, doctors are people in authority. But this issue about patients lie, I think it really is more that people have a hard time tracking their own experience. So let me give you an example. I like to ask really open-ended questions when I am working with people. And so I usually will not start a clinical encounter with something like, oh, how's your digestion been? I'm going to start the clinical encounter with something more like, how have you been recently? Because I'm curious for that overall perspective of how they've been recently. What are they paying attention to? What's up for them? What's in their consciousness at this moment? I know that last week they came in because they've had a digestive issue, but I'm curious to know where they are this week. And often when I ask them this question, I'll get back the answer, um, you know, about the same, maybe a little better. And I'm sure you've had this experience as well. Okay, for me, about the same, maybe a little better, it means one of two things. The first thing that it means is nothing has changed at all. I'm being a nice patient. The second thing that it could possibly mean is everything has completely changed and I've already forgotten that I've had the problem. Now, this used to drive me batshit crazy because it, it was just unimaginable to me that people could come in and have forgotten about the problem that originally brought them into my clinic. It just, it just made no sense to me. But I noticed that it would happen time and time again, where I'd ask them about their digestive issue. Oh, so you're still having bowel movements six times a day. And they'd be like, no, I go twice a day. And, and they would often be surprised about this. It's like, well, you know, like, what are you asking me for? And this is where I think it's super important that we take really, really good notes because... Quite often, and, and I think this might be the best of all possible kinds of healing, when people get better, they just fall back into kind of a natural state. They just fall back into their natural way of who they are, and they're, they're going along with their life. They're just doing their life without thinking about the troubles that they're having, because the troubles aren't present in that moment. And it seems that when people fall back into their natural pace and rhythm and they're just plain healthy, they forget they ever had a problem. It's really, really hard to attend to something that's not present. Much easier to attend to something that's bothering you. Much harder to attend to something that's not there. And so I think it's really, really helpful for us when we're working with our patients to be able to do this kind of listening, to listen for what's not being said, to be able to know what's been going on for them in the past so that when we notice in their experience with us in this particular clinical moment that they might not be attending to something that used to be there. Sometimes patients need to be reminded, look, you're getting better. And so give them that gift of noticing the distance that they've covered. Here's another thing about patients. You know, again, they're, they're often trying to please us or they want to be seen, you know, in a certain light by their medical practitioner. So sometimes patients will agree with us because they want to seem like they're friendly or they want to seem like they're compliant, but they're actually not. So there's a couple of things that I've noticed over the time that I've worked with people. You know, we're trying to help. And often we're going to give people advice, even if they don't ask for it. That's another thing. I, I found that these days... I find it best not to give advice unless people ask me for advice because unasked for advice is usually not listened to. It's another one of those things where you're going to end up wasting your breath and it's not helpful for people to give them some ideas on things to do if they're not actually looking for something that they can do. Sometimes to shut you up after you've given advice, they'll just go, oh yes, you're right. And we will often take that as, oh, good, they listened to me, and, and now they're going to get better. But there's a big difference between your right and that's right. I want you to listen for this when you're in clinic. 
Anytime you hear a patient say, you're right, take that as meaning I've stopped listening to you, I'm agreeing with you because I just want this particular part of the encounter to be finished. Having people say, that's right, now you're getting somewhere because the difference between you're right and that's right is the difference between, yeah, whatever, and oh my goodness, you completely said something that resonates with me down to my bones. When you hear that's right, then you know that you're really getting somewhere with your patient. The other thing about that's right is it's a confirmation that you're actually deeply, empathetically connecting with your patient. I'm going to talk about empathy a little bit more uh, down the road here. I want to take a moment to speak to when a patient says that they're doing better. I never think it's good enough to just go, oh, good, patient doing better, and like, you know, write down, patient is better. I think it's super important when people say they're better to probe and go deeper. How are they better? How do they know they're better? What things are different? How do they know it's different? This is one of my favorite questions, actually. When people say I'm doing better, I ask them, how do they know that they're doing better? That question can open up all kinds of super helpful information. They'll say things like, oh, yeah, well, it used to be I could walk a half a mile before that hip pain started up, and now I can walk three miles. I don't have a problem, right? Or you ask them how they know they're better, and they, they say things like, well, I used to wake up three times at night to urinate, and now I'm sleeping through the night. It's super helpful for you as a practitioner to know how things have changed, and it's even more important for your patients to be able to hear themselves talking about how things are different. It's, it's one thing to feel different. It's a whole other thing to know you're different, and it's even something else to be able to report to somebody else specifically the ways in which things have changed. One of the gifts of listening to your patients is that you can help listen them into their own wisdom. Now, especially in this moment of time here where we can't really put our hands on people, maybe we're doing some telemedicine kind of thing or telehealth, whatever it is, that tele thing. One of the things that I think can be super helpful in a moment like this is to be able to help our patients find the resources in themselves that they don't recognize that they have in themselves. Now, this is something that we often can do with acupuncture, and it works unconsciously, right? You put the needles in, people fall into this you know, deep state of quietude. They get connected up with aspects of themselves that they didn't know that they had access to. I mean, acupuncture doesn't put anything into a patient. It only can call out what is somehow innate in them. It only can wake up something that a patient already has, right? It's not like, you know, you put an IV drip of chi into somebody. You're helping to awaken their own chi. Acupuncture is wonderful because we can do this. But we can also do this with the way that we communicate with folks, the way that we listen to people. You know, just a moment ago, I was, I was suggesting that when things are going well, ask people how they know it's going well. Because when people can identify that, they're reconnecting with parts of themselves that they didn't realize that they had. I think there's lots of ways that listening to people, using our confusion, using our curiosity, leaning into the places where we go, huh, what was that, is super helpful for our patients because it can help to put them in touch with parts of themselves and resources that are deeply embedded in them, but they maybe are not that aware of. And when we engage them in a certain kind of a conversation, people start talking about parts of themselves that they didn't realize that they had. They can unearth resources that maybe they use unconsciously, or maybe they've just been buried and not being used. But there's ways that we can feed back information to our patients in a way that it rings true for them and it rings true for us. So one of the things that I... I've been doing this for years, and I didn't even know that I was doing it until recently. But one of the things that I, I like to do, and I tend to do with listening, is to listen for the resources that patients have, but they are not aware that they have. I like to listen for the parts of them that they may even think are a problem. But from my point of view, it's a superpower of theirs. 
And to be able to note it as a superpower, to be able to note a resource that a patient has and to point that out to them and to help them reconnect with something in them that is actually really vital and valuable, super helpful. I think of it as like doing acupuncture without needles because our job is to help connect our patients up with the resources that they have inside of themselves. And so if you can sit not as a wise knowing practitioner, but if you can sit as more like an empty vessel that can notice when something a patient says rings true for you and then speak that back to the patient, it's really curious. Sometimes patients, that's when you'll get the, oh, that's right response from your patients. Sometimes I hear things that my patients say and they're completely unaware that they said it. And I can see that they're unaware. I can feel that they're unaware. But it's something super vital in them. And I feed it back to them. And they get quiet. Maybe they even get teary-eyed, right? Or they get wide-eyed. You, I'm sure you've had experiences like this. You feed back something to your patient that has just rung true for you. And the patient goes, oh, may, yeah, maybe. Oh, or that's right. Or, oh, I, I hadn't thought about that. But that seems so. Sometimes patients will even get really angry with you. How dare you say that? But then when they sit with it, they realize there's, there's something true about it. And that, that truth is something that's deep within them. And that truth could be a really valuable resource to them. So in many ways, I feel like our job is to listen our patients into their wisdom. Our job is to reflect back what belongs to them, but they're not connected to. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about empathy. You know, Often people say that to really listen and to listen well, the first thing that you need to do is to be empathetic. And I'm saving this for last because I think empathy is damn hard. And if you don't believe me, then conjure up the image of someone on the other side of the political debate or some person that you love to hate. Empathy, I think, is the ability to be able to engage and have an inquisitive conversation without asserting our opinion, without asserting our belief, and without asserting our agenda. I think it's really, really hard. Empathy is not about agreeing with somebody. Empathy is not about, oh, we kind of have a connection. I think empathy is way more about understanding someone from their own point of view. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to think it's right. You don't have to sympathize with it. But to be able to connect with somebody from where they stand is super powerful. And I think it's very, very, very difficult because often we want to feel like we like people. Often we feel connected people because we share similar points of view. But empathy doesn't mean we share a similar point of view. True empathy means we can understand somebody from their point of view. It's being engaged enough so that you can understand them and how they make sense of themselves. It requires that we dial down the noise in our own mind. It requires that we put on hold our opinions and our beliefs so that we can better understand the person that's in front of us. I think this is, I think empathy is super helpful when working with people who are very different from who you are. But it's also helpful when working with people who are like you because then you don't end up projecting too much of yourself onto them. You probably heard me talk about Seth Godin, who is ostensibly one of the more imaginative and I think creative, air quotes here, marketing people out there. I, I love Uncle Seth's work because while he talks a lot about marketing, what he's really talking about is good, clean, clear heartfelt communication. So Seth has these questions, which I find are really helpful. What do they see that I don't see? What do they want that I don't want? And what do they fear that I don't fear? I think it's really, really helpful that we notice our own wants, fears, beliefs, and put it on hold just enough so that we can understand what the other person sees or wants or fears or believes that we don't. That's empathy. When we're very similar and we're sharing similar ideas, that's just being friendly. And it's easy to sympathize. But empathy 
These are really helpful questions because they help us to both better understand the other person and to be aware of what arises in us as a response. Because, you know, our response just might get in the way of understanding how we can better help. Empathy is something that I fail at all the time. You can just ask my wife about that. It requires the ability to attend to the other person and at the same time attend to ourselves. This is not unlike what I was talking about earlier when we're in clinic where we have one foot in the unknown and the other foot in our experience, theories, and mental models. Empathy is worth practicing and it will help your diagnosis too because then you'll stop labeling people with a shen disturbance just because you don't like them. I guess you could say empathy is a kind of respect. You can be empathetic and decide that you don't want to work with somebody. That doesn't mean you're not empathetic. It just means that you've got certain boundaries and you respect them. And again, super important, having empathy with someone does not mean that you like them, but it might mean that you hate them a little bit less. All right, I'm feeling a little long-winded here, and this is like the longest that I've just ever sat down and just spoken into a microphone, just me, without someone else on the other side. So I don't know if you found this useful or not. I hope so, at least some of it. In closing, here's a couple of things that I found helpful. First is it really helps to lean on your curiosity, right? As adults and experts, It's hard to have that beginner's mind. It's hard to have that childlike curiosity. It's hard to have that that sense of, ooh, I wonder what this is, right? So often we're the experts. So often we want to be the person who knows. We're the person in charge. We're the people that fix things. But often we don't know what needs being fixed and we don't know how it needs being fixed. And it's sometimes hard to know how we can be most helpful. And so curiosity, that childlike curiosity. If you got kids, you're lucky because you can learn from them. You can be reminded of what it's like to be curious, like really open and ask all kinds of ridiculous questions because you learn more and you learn more about, especially about the things that you're blind to. I think it helps to let go of being the expert and at the same time, be responsible and be responsive to the clinical encounter. You have the potential to learn as much about yourself as about your patient in any clinical encounter. And that's where the listening, both on the outside and listening to your responses on the inside comes in. We need to use both sides of that interaction to be able to really help people. And remember, this is a process of your eyes, your ears, your heart, and your mind. Again, I hope that you found this to be helpful and... As ever, I thank you for listening to the podcast, and I'd love to know, especially if you found this to be helpful, send me an email and let me know what's useful. See you next week, folks.